All right. Well, this uh, this morning we are going to be in Matthew uh, chapter twenty-eight, verse twenty. Uh, this is the fourth sermon we've done on this passage uh, on Matthew twenty-eight eighteen through twenty. So I'm going to be reading the entire context, Matthew twenty-eight eighteen through twenty, uh, from the English Standard Version. Uh, and but we our focus will be on verse twenty. We will be bringing up a number of verses. I've got them on the screen as we get, as we'll come through them. They're also indicated on the outline and the and the back of your bulletin there as well for your own uh, help. So uh, especially with these types of sermons, one time I had somebody that came up. They said, "Could you type the sermon, type the the scripture references in there? Because I can't write them fast enough sometimes." So I was like, "All right, we'll make sure they're in there uh, for you." Uh, but uh, so let me bring this up on the screen. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, uh, reading from the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. And Jesus came, to the, uh, came and said to the disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into, into the name of the, fa- of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. So today we are wrapping up our series on mission and missions. We have been diving deep into the Great Commission of Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20 that we just read, asking questions like, what is the mission of the church? What is the church supposed to be about uh, why do we give support uh, uh, you know, and participate in the work of missions? Uh, it, we've already seen in this series that the mission of the church is to make disciples. That's the only verb in, uh, in that sentence is go and make disciples. Right? Uh, in the, so we go, to, uh, we go, we baptize, we teach and we do so because this whole thing, this whole Great Commission is not something that the elders just got together and, and thought would be a good, you know, very Christian sounding, uh, uh, you know, a mission to have as a church. It is because Christ has commanded it. And he does so by his own authority as not only as, as, as God the Son, but as God the Son who is also the risen Redeemer. And so he speaks with that authority that has been granted to him as the redeemer of the church to command the church because he is the head of the church. And, uh, and, and so uh, this, is, um, this is not just Protestant tradition that we're talking about here. And, we've, we've, and so in this series, we've kind of given, like last week, we looked at really the how of disciple-making, going baptizing, teaching, and the significance of those uh, three participles in that sentence. Uh, and, and we've noted that, but we've noted in passing that disciple-making is not something we can actually do in our own power. It's not something that we can make happen. There's, this, this is the basic principle of human relationships. This is counsel that as a pastor I've given to people who are really struggling with, with, with another relationship or person in their life. And, 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 the, and the advice I give to them is, look, you can only control you, right? You cannot make that person say the thing you want them to say, to believe the thing you want them to believe, to act the way you want them to act. You can't make them do it. 
right? I mean, you could do it at gunpoint, but then that's a crime, right? Then you go to jail and you can't make them do it anymore, right? So, um, and, and so I can't make anyone believe anything. I can't make anyone obey Christ's commands. I know that as a pastor, as I sit across from somebody and I want them to follow Jesus or I want them to, uh, to read the scriptures, I want them to pray, I want them to uh, forgive their spouse or something like that. Like I want them, I can't make them do those things. And so, uh, and so how is it then that Jesus commands us to do that which is not within our power? Because he does command us to make disciples. That's absolutely clear. It is an imperative in the Greek. There's no getting around it. He tells us, the church, the disciples, and, then, and thus the church, to go make disciples. So how do we do that which we have no power to do? Well, for one thing, uh, he, he is right to command it because, as we mentioned a moment ago, he is God in his being. And God can tell us, it's like, you know, you talk, somebody tells you something, who made you God? You know, and it's like, you know, Jesus says, I am. No one made me God. I simply am. I have been, I have always been God. Before Abraham was, I am. You can read about me in the scriptures. Further, Jesus is the redeemer. He is our prophet. He is our priest. He is our king. We've talked about that in the past. He has told us what we are to do to make disciples. He has the authority to do so. But then he gives us something more at the very end that makes it possible. He gives us his promise. His promise of what? That he will be with us to the very end of the age. And so this morning we're going to explore exactly what it means for Jesus to be with us, to be with his disciples, to be with his church to the end. Why is he with us? To what end is he with us? How is he with us? And we're going to boil it down to two points. And the first one is simply Jesus is with us. And, and exploring why Jesus is with us. And there's three reasons, key reasons uh, that we can find. And, and at least these three. But these are three key reasons about why Jesus is with us. Jesus, first of all, is with us to fulfill the promises of the covenant. Jesus is with us to fulfill the promises of the covenant. The concept of God being with his people is not new. In Genesis 15, 1, God came to Abraham before he was Abraham. He was called Abram. And he said, fear not, Abram, for I am your shield Implication, I am with you to protect you. In Genesis 26, 24, God comes to Isaac and tells him, I am the God of your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. Now, note the concept of multiplying offspring is actually part of the creation mandate that God gave to Adam and Eve. Where he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And now that promise or that command has been incorporated into the promises of the covenant that God made with Abraham. A covenant that God said he had committed to fulfill himself apart even from Abraham, since Abraham was asleep when God made it with him. 
But that which Adam and Eve failed to do, God has promised to do in his covenant with Abraham. And then in Genesis 28, 15, God comes to Jacob, and I'll pull this up on the screen. Genesis 28:15, God comes to Jacob and says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you, which means to guard you, wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Well, what did he promise? Well, what he promised Isaac, which is what he promised Abraham. So in the Old Testament, God committed his presence to his people to to accomplish the promises that he made in the covenant with Abraham. A covenant we ought to remember, as we have already discussed at length in previous sermons, the Apostle Paul refers to in Galatians 3.7 as the gospel being preached before the revelation of Christ. In Galatians 3.7, the Apostle Paul refers to the promises of Genesis 12 as God preaching the gospel to Abraham beforehand. This is the background, part of the background at least, of Jesus' promise to be with his church to the end of the age. Jesus has an agenda. He has something he desires to accomplish it's not that kind of like sad movie, the ending, you know, watch the ending of that movie and they say, you know, it's not Jesus saying, well, I'll always be with you in your heart. You know, that's what they always say when they don't want to get religious, but they just want to say, it's okay. You carry them with you in, your, in their heart. He's like, well, how? Jesus is like saying, no, I am going to be with you. Not in a, not in a sentimental way. I am, I am with you to the very end of the age. So he isn't with us just to make sure that we're happy. Or comfortable. He is with us to accomplish his glorious work of the covenant through the revelation of salvation in the gospel. In Philippians 1.6, the Apostle Paul says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is with us to accomplish the promises made in the covenant. Secondly, Jesus is with us to preserve and protect us. We see this certainly in the book of Acts, chapter 18, verse 10, where the Lord tells the apostle Paul, who's under threat, uh, that no one will attack him. Keep preaching the gospel because he says there's two things you need to know. One, I am with you. Number two, I got a lot of people here in this city that are my people. So don't worry, Paul, you keep preaching. But we also see this in the Old Testament prophets. The passage in Isaiah chapter 41 is so striking that it's actually made its way into one of our beloved hymns. He says in in Isaiah 41 verses 8 through 10, But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, notice all the connection to Abraham, and Jacob, the promises, my friend, you whom, uh, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corner, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will still give the aid. Sorry, I went into the hymn. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
Did you know that line in the hymn came from Isaiah 41? It doesn't mean that bad things won't happen to God's people. It means that bad things won't last. It means that bad things won't overcome. It means that bad things won't be empty or devoid of divine purpose. For he says it later, just a couple of chapters later in Isaiah 43, uh, verse 5, Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. So even though they're spread out, he says, fear not. Why? Because even spread out, I am with you and I will gather you again. I will bring you back. At least four times in the book of Jeremiah, the Lord assures his people saying, for I am with you to save you and to, to deliver you. But he also says twice in there, as, as recorded in Jeremiah 30 verse 11, for I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. I will make full end of all the nations among whom I scattered you, but of you I will not make a full end. I will discipline you in just measure, and I will by no means leave you unpunished. Isaiah thir uh, Jeremiah 30 verse 11 is both comforting and terrifying at the same time. Because it means that God is with us, and part of that is to uphold us through divine painful discipline that he is working in his own people and in his church. We serve a holy and loving God who is with us to preserve us and protect us from our enemies who seek to destroy us from Satan to all the way down, but also from ourselves and from our flesh. And so Jesus is with us to preserve us and to protect us. And third, Jesus is with us to do the work he has called us to do. When Israel was allowed to return to Jerusalem under the rule of Persia, they were still under constant threat from their neighbors and threatened by internal divisions and problems. But the Lord spoke at that time through one of the prophets named Haggai, to the governor of the people, saying in chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, who's the governor of the, of the land there, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, who was the, the high priest at the time. Uh, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord. According to the covenant that I made. So Monday morning when you get up, just hear those words. <laughs> right? I am with you. Now get to work. <laughs> right? According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. God tells his people that he is with them by the presence of his spirit and thus he enables them by that spirit to fulfill his commands. Thus, to the people of God, the Lord says, be strong and work unto the Lord. I think I've heard commands like that in the New Testament as well. Do all things unto the Lord. Work heartily unto the Lord and not unto men. 
But the Apostle Paul also says this in 1 Corinthians 3, 7. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. We are commanded to work, but we come back to that problem again. It, Jesus is commanding us to make disciples. Well, how can we do that if we can't make, actually make disciples? Well, God, God does it, Christ does it through his people by the power of the Holy Spirit. The, because God not only ordains the ends, but he also ordains the means to accomplish those ends. And so he gives the means of the gospel, the church, the worship service, the opportunities, those little moments that we have with our interactions, the display, Christian character with our neighbors and, our, and the people that we're around, also with our family and as we love one another. And, and all those things that God provides for us as means of accomplishing his will, of, of uh, pro, um, producing greater holiness, enjoying the gospel and his people, and also of making disciples, of new disciples, of bringing them into the midst of the local body. Notice that what, what Paul says here, Paul doesn't say God gives the growth, so it doesn't matter whether you plant or you seed. Meaning, we don't need to plant or seed. No, he's saying, no, no, no. We need people to plant, or, or we need people to plant. We need people to water. We need people to do those things. He doesn't say, some God gives the growth. We don't need those things. He's saying, no, we, it, the reason why those things work is because God is the one who gives the growth. But do them. And so in view of his words that, that, that we looked at in Haggai, we could interpret it this way for the New Testament church. The, the prophet Haggai might say to us today, be strong elders, be strong deacons, be strong you people of the Lord, make disciples of the Lord in, according, in accordance with the covenant that he made with us by the blood of his blessed son. His spirit remains in our midst. In our very bodies, fear not. Do the work that you have been called to do. And here is, uh, and, 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 so, and so Jesus is with us. He is with us to, uh, to preserve and protect us. He is with us uh, to, to uh, fulfill the promises of the covenant. And he is with us to do the work that he has called us to do. And secondly, Jesus is with us to the end. Jesus is with us to the end. So this is, uh, this is where, uh, and, so, and we're going to break that into three aspects here. That first, that Jesus is with us until the end. This is where that word always comes into play. Jesus says he is with his people always until the end. That means Jesus is with us every moment of our lives. This is the very grounding of Paul's confidence in Philippians where he says he can be content. The secret of contentment that he has learned in every circumstance is that he can do all things through, through him who gives him strength, who strengthens him, which is Christ. Further, he puts, it, he, well, he puts it another way. In Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
And the life I now live in the, uh, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ lives in us, in his people, by his Holy Spirit. That is, the Holy Spirit is the one who actually indwells, who lives in the people of God and communicates to us the person and the benefits of Jesus Christ who lives in heaven. Another way to describe it is that the Holy Spirit is, is the one who gives us our spiritual union with Christ. And so what this means for us is that Jesus is with his church. He's with you. He is with me every day. He doesn't go, he doesn't go off the clock at night when you go to sleep. He doesn't check out when, you, when you're about to sin. He doesn't only pay attention when you're about to sin. He is with us in our successes and our failures. He is with us when we are stuck in the mire. He is with us as we go forth into the world living as Christians and trying to figure out the best way to do that because it's not always easy or clear. He's with our missionaries as they serve in various capacities and distances from their homes. Jesus is with us, making disciples through his church. And he will continue to be with us until the end of the age when Christ returns. So Jesus is with us until the end. But Jesus is also with us at the end. Jesus will not... Uh, bring us to the very end and then kind of run off behind the closed door. Philippians 3, verses uh, uh, 20 and 21, the Apostle Paul says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. That is, we look for a Savior who is with us by his Holy Spirit, who will return at the end of the age in judgment. But notice that the Holy Spirit is communicating us that the presence of Christ to us until we are actually in the presence of Christ in his return. And when he comes, he will judge the world. But having paid the penalty for our sins, he will not condemn us, but receive us with joy. And the end of all things, Jesus will be there to bring the consummation of the promises of the covenant. And at the end, there will not be Jesus there wagging the finger at us, pointing out every fault and failure that we got wrong. There will be a reckoning, we are told. For believers, there will be a reckoning before the Lord. We will have to account for our deeds and our words We will have an accounting of the treasure that we have stored in heaven and how much treasure we have stored on earth that we have lost in the judgment. The scriptures say that some will escape with only their souls, but they will escape with their souls and they will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says even the least of the kingdom of heaven is greater than, than even John the Baptist, the greatest of the old, old covenant prophets. There will be an accounting, but even there, even for the quote-unquote lowest of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus will transform all 
those who belong to heaven in Jesus Christ. Transform our bodies to be fit for eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. Because Jesus is with us until the end, he is Jesus, Jesus is also with us at the end. And finally, Jesus is with us beyond the end. The prophet Haggai actually had a lot to say about what the Lord would do. And uh, we read part of the passage, uh, verses 4 and 5, but Haggai uh, continued on uh, after, after telling his people to do the work. The Spirit of the Lord is with them. Uh, and so uh, it, he, he continues and he adds this promise. He says, the Lord says, the Lord of hosts says, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. And you should know that the shaking of the nations, the greater glory of the house of God was not fulfilled in the partial restoration of the Jews to the land under, under Persian rule. In fact, this is one of the reasons that the oldest of the return, those who returned from exile wept when they poured the foundation of the Temple Mount because it was smaller than the original one that had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. But also, it was clearly not a fulfillment of what the prophets had prophesied. And so they wept even as they rejoiced. This is because... The shaking of the nations that Haggai speaks of here will occur when Christ returns and brings about the worldwide glorious consummation of the promises of God, where he, where he will bring the fullness of his promises of his mercy and his judgment. And this is recorded for us in many ways in the book of Revelation, but perhaps no better than in Revelation 21 verses 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. The promise of, that Jesus gives that I will be with you until the very end of the age always doesn't stop when he returns. It doesn't stop at the, at the very moment of judgment at the end where he gives us glorified bodies. It continues. In fact, the promise to be with us is the very heart of heavenly joy with God being with his people forever. And so we just celebrated Thanksgiving. And as is the habit in our home, the day after Thanksgiving, we start breaking out the Christmas decorations. 
I lift the ban upon Christmas music uh, in my household. Um, so, yeah, if you come before, it's under the ban uh, prior to Thanksgiving. But post-Thanksgiving, it's allowed. And, uh, and we start putting out the Christmas decorations. And, uh, and, our, and our minds and our thoughts are starting to turn towards uh, celebrating the advent, the incarnation uh, of Christ. And, we have be, and it's very fitting that we are, we've been looking, studying the very end of Matthew's gospel, but it's at the beginning of Matthew's gospel that we are given the name of the Savior who is to come, a title for him, which is Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And Jesus himself confirms that that was not simply an empty title or an honorific given to him, but it is a title that he fulfills in every way that he is fulfilling and he will absolutely fulfill in the end. And so wherever you're at today in the Christian life, whatever level of engagement you have in the work of disciple making here at the church or in the support of our missionaries that we partner with, know that Christ is with you. He is with us to protect us, to preserve us, to discipline us for our, for the, for our own good. He's with us to enable us in our labors for his name, to bless us in our obedience of faith. In short, we would say, take heart, Christian. Do the work your Savior has commanded you to do because he is with us always to the very end of the age and beyond. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Jesus Christ we have a Savior who is not just done something wonderful and, and we're just remembering what he did and, and, and trying to honor that memory, trying to do our best to, to do what he taught us to do, to do what he told us to do, and, and, and often just failing at it. Lord, that is very much the reality of the case. But we have the promise of the presence of your blessed Son which is revealed in your word to be conveyed to us, communicated to us by the actual presence of the Holy Spirit. A presence of Christ that is so real that the Apostle Paul says it is as if Christ is actually living in us even though he lives in heaven. So near Christ is to us by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, our Savior is with us. With us when we rejoice, when we succeed, when we fail, when we weep. You are with us. Your Son is with us. And He will not abandon us. He will not leave us or stop until He has accomplished by His Spirit all the promises of the covenant, and even then he will not leave us. He will transform us that we will be like him in glory, and then he will be with us always in the kingdom, in the new heavens and the new earth in glory. Father, we pray. Come, Lord Jesus. But until he comes, Father, may we rejoice. 
in that promise. May we remember it. May it empower us. May it strengthen us. May it strengthen, our, strengthen us in our conviction against sin. And may it drive us to do the work you've called us to do, not in our own power, but by the grace and help of the Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' wonderful, glorious, and powerful name. Amen.